That's right. Uh, recognize real ghetto vision, uh, nigga. Ray Cash, Remix, Port Arthur, Memphis, ATL. We gon' start off in Cleveland. Swag. You see, I'm coming down. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fadeaway. This is the season finale of the Faders NBA 2016 Playoff Podcast. My name is Amos Barshot. I'm a senior writer with the Fader. Uh, to my right, Alvin Akinti from the Fader. Hola. And to my left, Joseph Patel, also of the Fader. Hello, guys. What up? We just got to get right into it. The Warriors have been vanquished. The Cavs are the champs. No, no, LeBron. game eight is next week. <laughs> LeBron game is eight a, is on Saturday. Again, a national treasure. And it's funny after that insane long postseason, all the crazy storylines, and even the you know seven games we've been through of this finals. The only thing I think that is on anyone's minds is the last four minutes of this game seven. <laughs> and it's crazy because it's a it the last four minutes where there weren't a lot of points. It was it was the greatest game I've ever seen where no one could make a bucket. And I think right. I think people were scared and rightfully so. I would be terrified in that situation. But that's what just made it so dramatic. So. I think they were exhausted. Yes, I think yes. everyone was exhausted. Yeah, right. And so two players who didn't do shit all year, Kyrie <laughs> and Kevin Love, stepped up and we made plays. Say we should remind uh, first-time listeners: Joseph is a Warriors fan, and this is, I think, a bold move from him coming on here and talking out his feelings. Thank you, man. Thank you. Very for doing commendable this. to come yes, out. Yes, yes. You're not Very hiding. You're getting. You're embracing this. <laughs> when my when my Celtics lost the 2010 finals to the Lakers, I didn't go. You couldn't find you yeah, for a week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't do a, my podcast. I didn't know I didn't have a podcast then. But if I had, I would not have done it. Um, so yeah, let me ask you guys. Um, uh, some quickly iconic moments, uh, Alvin. What's what's sticking out? Is it the block? Is it the chase down block? Like, I, what's on your mind? You know, I, I know everybody's talking about the the chase down block and then Kyrie shot. But the one thing I'm always going to take away from this game is that dunk that LeBron could have had on Draymond. <laughs> yes, yes. That if he had gotten that dunk, they probably would have put that on like the back of the one out of bill. <laughs> that would have stamped LeBron's <laughs> legacy. Like, and I just wanted him to get that dunk so yeah. bad. I think, looking back in replays, like, oh man, that would have been he that would have been perfect. Up. Who was I think they would have called the game right there. <laughs> it would have been like and one back in the yeah, day. Like they would have yeah. been and title. They <laughs> right. They would have been up five with 12 seconds or whatever instead of – well, it would have been a, more or less the same situation. But, yeah. It yeah, been, but that would have been like LeBron's legacy would have been – that. Like been he would have cemented himself as the greatest of his era with that dunk like yeah. on Draymond. Yeah. But, who, you know. Who 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 was – he was – it was Kyrie threw it up and, and LeBron cut down. Was someone supposed to be guarding him? Draymond was helping off of LeBron or something? I don't know what happened, but LeBron was very open. I don't watch basketball. So I, don't, I don't actually really know. <laughs> no, I believe like um, LeBron was just he, he he saw the he saw the open lane of the basket yeah. and Draymond was there in front of him. Yeah, so I don't think Draymond was covering him. Right. You know, at the start of that start of that play, but they met in the air and yeah, he got him. Yeah, he kind of milked the injury at the end. Though. I was I was like I sort of got I was like I was talking to my girlfriend watching the game. I was like he snapped it. The wrist is snapped. That's what I thought. <laughs> Well, you heard him say, right? When the, when, the, when the cameras were down there on the ground with him, like he was saying, my wrist, dog, my wrist. Oh, really? Yeah, and you could hear him say that. Yeah. But the wrist looked fine 10 minutes later right. when he was picking yeah. up that trophy. <laughs> Walking <laughs> out with both of them. No, yeah, it landed full weight. It looked like it bent very awkwardly. It did. I didn't. I, 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 it looked like he fell on his forearm okay. to me, but you know, you never so, know. So, whatever it was, he was like, this will be my excuse for if I miss these free things. Right. <laughs> Again, I think he watched a lot of, of uh, I think he watched that movie Hoosiers a lot as a, as a kid. And he was writing his own screenplay yeah. for this story, yeah. and and he needed to be felled by an injury <laughs> in the last waning seconds yeah. to hit the free throws to put the game away and out of reach. Yeah. Right, because he missed the first one after yeah. that, and then he hit the second one, which kind of made it a two-point game. Right. So it was like, yeah, go to your point. Like, he's scripted. Like, nah. I'm going to miss this one. I'm going to miss this one. I'll ne- get the next one. I'll shake my wrist. <laughs> and then I'll get back on defense. Yeah. It was like, the, it was like there, there wasn't sound for the four minutes before, and all of a sudden it snaps back, you know? And he's like, okay, I think we're about to get this. Yeah. this I'm about insane. to get this, yeah. And then the next possession down, uh, uh, Curry uh, tries to take Kevin Love one on one, kind of dished it, got it back, dribbling, 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 gets off. Not a good shot, but in the realm of Steph Curry shots, you know, a right. decent shot. Kind of one of those shot put ones that he does. Yeah. Uh, doesn't get it. Azili gets uh, the rebound, and at that point, you know, there's no time left on the clock. LeBron yeah. and those guys are already celebrating. It was insane. It, it was, was Mo Spates who got the rebound. Oh, right, right, right. And right, tried right. to hit a three, uh, but to no avail. Yeah. There's no time yeah. left on the clock. Yeah. So, Joseph, do you want to talk about your emotions at that moment? An earnest question. I have a lot of emotions. <laughs> okay. I had a lot of emotions then. I have a lot of emotions now. First and foremost, 
the Warriors lost. Mm-hmm. LeBron and the Cavs won. They looked like the hungrier team. The same way I was elated that the Warriors came back and beat Oklahoma City three games to one when they were down three games to one. To see, we won't even talk about the suspension because I think it was bullshit. But <laughs> he hey. barely he barely tapped the nut. But I think that. Uh, the 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 Cavs looked hungrier. Uh-huh. The Cavs like give LeBron credit not only for his play on the court, but for motivating that team, um, and Tyron Lue for yep. making an adjustment, a couple of adjustments in the in the series on how uh, on on putting uh, LeBron on Draymond. Yeah. Right, that was the biggest defensive adjustment. Right. Um, and for Kyrie, um, feeling it right. The, the, it doesn't look like the same team. That started the series and got blown out in two games. When he had that layup against Draymond when he was shooting, he yeah. said that to himself, like, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it. And he came back again with a three-pointer yeah. later on. And then that big bucket at the end, like, yeah. I think the Cavs looked hungrier. They looked like they – at some point it clicked to them that this actually was possible. Right. Yeah. And as soon as that clicked, they just looked like the better team. Yeah. So I'll take the defeat. As a Warriors fan, and, and I, but I think they'll never get this close to making history like that again. And I think that's the, what will eat at them and their fan base forever. Making mm-hmm. history meaning like the wins record. 73-9, and and back-to-back championships. Yeah, they were MVP, a minute all away yeah. from all of that. Yeah. Right. Unanimous MVP. It, the, the thing that pains me the most is it gives validity to real stupid motherfuckers who question the Warriors basketball ability. Joseph's right. holding a baseball bat right now. He was coming <laughs> at you all. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? Like, there's always going to be stupid shit that people say sure, about sure, sure. about about uh, any basketball team and that's meant to be funny on Twitter, but sometimes people actually say this in conversation, mm, like they yeah. actually know what's going on. Right. And to me, this gives validity to them. It gives validity to people like Charles Barkley, who's saying a jump, jump shooting team can't win a championship. <laughs> no, they did it before. They won. That's what I'm saying. Game, but everyone looks done. at that as a flute, right. right? And it's like that's the thing I hate is they were a minute away from just shutting everyone else up. And the next year they could have won 20 games, and I right. wouldn't have cared. Yeah. Right. Like I just wanted them to make history. Yeah, well, and forget about the Curry shot at the end there with like something like four minutes to go. You know, the beginning of that scoring, uh, barren scoring stretch, Curry had a pretty wide open look at it and yeah. missed that one too. Yeah. And then that's, you know, that's the game right there. It's just nuts. It's just nuts. That's the Wall Street Journal had that that article, you know, the best team of all time, you know, had got the shot exactly that they wanted, a Curry three. That's what they were built right. on. That's yeah. what they did all season. Right. It was there and he missed it. And, that's and, Ky- it. and Kyrie hit a three over Curry right. or some sort of poetic justice yeah, yeah. to winning the title. And right? he's right. probably not getting enough credit for that. That was the game winner, basically. Well, Kyrie's three. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's the most yeah. important shot in the history of that franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. That that right there, like it's legend. It's legend. It yeah. kinda it kinda it doesn't erase Jordan over Elo, but <laughs> Cleveland fans could feel a lot better looking at Jordan Elo now that they have their own version of like yeah. our guy doing that to an MVP. So I mean it was an amazing shot, man. Yeah. And it and it kinda it that series kinda asked the question, and I don't know how you're gonna take this, Joseph, but who's <laughs> the be- who's the best point guard in the NBA? At the beginning of the season, all over the planet, Stephen Curry, Steph Curry, Steph Curry, Steph Curry. This series kind of it gives you it brings up that question. That question that 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 discussion is more arguable now than it was before the start of the season. Yeah. Oh hell no. <laughs> what? Oh hell no. Are you serious? Yes. Have Kyrie do it for a season. Oh my god. Here he we didn't go do season. it for a season. He didn't do it for a season. He played tremendous in the playoffs. Kyrie found himself Kyrie, this season. Yes, he we'll found see, himself let's this see what he does. Let's series. see what he does next year. I will say this: Kyrie is better than Chris Paul. And and what the question you're asking is a legit question in a way that when people ask it with Chris Paul it drives me nuts. What Chris, when they ask that question? Yeah, Chris Paul versus Kyrie. Chris Paul, no, when they ask Chris Paul versus Curry, it right. makes me laugh. Like, are you kidding? But. Kyrie versus Curry, that could be a legit question right. next year. Yeah. But let's see Kyrie if he found himself or not. Yeah. I think that shot did a lot for him. I, th- I do too. I, I, th- think, I think he's, he's going to be I think he's a beast. I actually even think that LeBron now takes a slightly different tact next year with this team yeah. and turns it over to Kyrie in a way, right? That'd Let's him dope. run that team and and let LeBron play the 4, right? And right. like let him be more of like a back court general. Or I mean, a front court general, and let Kyrie just run the back court, like, or straight up do some Spursian shit where it's like LeBron's going to take the regular season off, basically. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Eastern Conference, yeah. you know, Kyrie go shoot the ball thirty times a game. I don't care because who's their real threat in the East? Yeah, I mean, no, no one's really rising yet. The yeah. Hawks didn't look particularly good, no. uh, and yeah, I mean, Celtics. That's, 
Celtics, I mean, Celtics, yeah. depending on what the Celtics do. Durant. The draft draft on Thursday. Danny Ainge is furiously trying to move the third draft pick as we speak, but we're going to end up with the the Croatian guy, I think. (laughs) I don't know what. Um, So the the thing about Lou uh, over Blatt, you know, David Blatt gets fired at the time they're uh, the number one team in the East, and people can understand where it's coming from, but at the same time it feels a little little wrong to do a guy like that. But I think, like you were saying, you know, Lou not only makes the – smart little strategic uh, adjustments but at the same time the the culture of the team they just seemed happier you know you can't really argue right. with that and if you're there you know a minute left are we going to beat the Warriors or not you're looking over and you're seeing David Blatt who you just don't like that much right. Right? you're not trying as hard I don't right. know and like I know it sounds like some corny like they believed in it more but you go to work and you're happier your your productivity is going to be better you know I mean it's e- and another thing like it's easier to play for somebody who also feels like they got something to prove and I don't in a strange way that Tyron Lue does uh-huh. for his Career, he was known as the guy that AI stepped over. You know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? When he was an assistant coach, he was the guy that the AI stepped over. AI stepped yeah, over. Yeah. And I, I got a funny feeling that his players that they recognize that it's like, yo, this, this he was a good player. Yeah, he's a solid player. He's a solid coach. Let's win this one for him. Whereas yeah. Blatt, he's coming through, not something to prove. International coach had a lot of success. Probably has like an air of arrogance about him. I don't. I've never met the guy before. So I don't know, but I'm just assuming. If you're that successful, most of the cast players hadn't met him either. Right. Know? If you're that successful, you're probably going to come over here and be a little bit cocky, stand, cocky, standoffish, yeah. a little bit. Maybe they didn't like that. Whereas Tyron Lue, I'm assuming he's probably a lot more humble because you know where he's coming from, what he's had to go through, being the guy that got stepped over by. AI. <laughs> you want to hear my hot take on this? Ready? <laughs> yeah, really, yeah, yeah, real please. super sizzling hot take. <laughs> I think he's a black coach, not a, not an Israeli coach, not a white coach, not an Israeli coach. I think they. Um, connected with him more something yeah. as simple as that he played the game right in in in, in recent memory to some of those players right, right? um no, yeah white black doesn't necessarily matter but nba player you know a guy who was in you know a, a bench player most of his career a guy who's in who yeah. can relate to most of that team and of course one lebron's respect was the most important thing on a team like that where de facto you know the guy lebron's the gm anyway so right. of course you need that more than more than anything but else, i think yeah. they identified with him on a lot of levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. will say black and white doesn't matter. I think it does matter. <laughs> yeah, it does. But, it matters. But it matters. I think they identified with him on a lot of levels. And I think Tyron, I mean, I'll say this about Tyron Lue. He never once in this playoff run looked overwhelmed. Even when they were down to nothing, he yeah. did not look overwhelmed by what yeah. was happening. And I think one of the best things uh, about successful coaches is uh, one of the things that you notice about successful coaches and one of the best things that I've seen in Steve Kerr as a Warriors fan is just the even keel, right? The concept of having someone who's there and who's just so calm, like, it just seems comforting, you know? Right. Course, you know, that's, that's going to be a huge difference, you know? Right. Um, there's a, a Tyron Lue, one of the, my funniest uh, things that I saw with him was, uh, I think it was before Game 6, so he had watched, like, a, a documentary on the Civil War, so that was like his grist for his uh, yeah. uh, pregame speech. So this is what supposedly this is what he said. Uh, that happened in 1861 to 1865, and we lost a lot of great men. The thing that stood out to me, they were just showing how they lined up and they were preparing for war. And the guys on the front line, they knew they were going to die, but they were willing to die for the guys behind them. And they were willing to die and sacrifice for their country. And I said, when you're on that front line, you got to be prepared and ready to die. And I said, everybody tonight in this locker room has to be prepared to stand on that front line. Which is just an insane thing to this say. Is he's comparing. <laughs> no, I mean, he's comparing Game Seven to the Civil War. All right, all right, cool, man. Whatever, whatever works, man. So yeah, about that even kill thing. was Game Seven to the Civil War. Yeah. Let's let's talk about Jarrett Smith, a person that we all I think fell in love with all over again. Can we can we listen? Let's check out this the high tech stuff we got going on now. We're gonna listen to a bit of his post game press conference. Oh, word, you got that? Yeah, it. yeah. I mean, my parents, my family, that's the biggest inspiration of my life. I've been th- I've been in a lot of dark spots in my life, and if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be able to get out of it. But they are who they are. They fought with me. They yelled at me, they screamed at me, they loved me, they hugged me, they cried with me. And they always stuck by my side. That's right. Uh. <laughs> that, that's he, right. Doesn't, he doesn't say that that's right. <laughs> 
but no, I mean, I've watched that a couple times as it's happened. Yeah. That's, I was telling Joseph the most like Wait, affecting. Did, did I cut that out at the right time? No, oh, yeah, okay. perfect. Right, you know, okay. but, uh, it was the most emotionally affecting uh, I've ever heard a player speak. I, it just seems so genuine. And right after he does that, he goes over and hugs his dad. Oh, my God. Yeah, first of all, legend, right? Yeah. Right. Already a legend before. Just a legend. Already, like from his Instagram fame, his club escapades, he is. He's a legend. He's a folklore. He's like, yeah. he, I mean, him and Slowbucks, they ran these streets when he was in New York. Like, <laughs> God. But just, on, just to, to add to that, like, I've seen the clip. I saw it a couple times. And we were talking about the emotion of the game, the series, when we were walking in. Each one of these guys has something to play for. Like, and nobody, I don't think, had more to prove than J.R. Smith with this with game seven. Like, this is, we all know about the year he won six man of the year and fucked it up with, against Boston. <laughs> Knucklehead play, knucklehead move, but he showed up in Game Seven. He had those eight points to start the second half. Um, he did up when he had to raised a seven point lead, right? right? Be, like, to start the half, and it happened, the half. same thing happened in Game Five. Yeah, like, he came out the, the second half firing. Like. So just no, I, I can't explain. I'm just so happy for J.R. Smith, man. Like, so first of all, this is the closest the Knicks will come to winning a championship, right? <laughs> Absolutely, J-R-A-1. basically, J.R. and one. And I think. Uh, there's some people on championship teams who will be just happy to get a ring. Right. And uh, to your point, what you were just saying, Jr. earned his ring, right? <sighs> not only in this game, not only in this series, but really in the playoffs and right. really the whole season. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. And then he immediately went out and did what Jr. Smith does, which is partly party without a shirt off for the night. I think SB Nation had a timeline, and they're just <laughs> trying to figure out exactly the point in Vegas. When they when he took his shirt off to the point where they got off the plane in Cleveland in sweatshorts, still shirt off. I, mean, I, I don't think Jr. will have his shirt back on until when, <laughs> yeah. when does training camp? Yeah, yeah. Start. It's like, like that September. thing where it's all sweaty and you don't want right. to put it back on. I mean, you right. just got to go shirtless. It's your only option. Um, no, it was it was perfect. It was the two sides of him. The truly genuine emotional. He wasn't just doing that pandering th- thing talking about his family. I mean, the guy was breaking down to tears. Right. But like you know, he's human. He contains multitudes. He can do that and go pop champagne right after. Did you see him pour the champagne on? The young bartender <laughs> in Vegas. So I was just like, yeah, let the summer games begin. The yeah. summer, that the felt summer like, of JR begins. That felt like a Lil Wayne mixtape right there. <laughs> oh. That was like a Lil Wayne mixtape move right there. Yeah, so yeah. good. Um, yeah, shout out to the Cavs uh, uh, staff for figuring out that stop by in Vegas afterwards. I couldn't believe it. I mean, it, it makes sense. Like, yeah. you're sitting in the locker room, you don't want to go party in the Bay because, right. let's be real, these Oakland cats are kind of crazy. They, look, they just took this L. I wouldn't want to party in San Francisco either. So. Yeah. They would have gotten jacked. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> what? I'm like, yo, let's just get to Vegas, man. And how, how far is the flight from Vegas to San Francisco? It's anyway? like an hour. Oh. Yeah. Dan yeah. Gilbert probably had that money in yeah. his suitcase. Yeah. Like, yeah. 45 minutes on a, on a private jet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so they got there, and um, uh, very good ESPN reporters figuring this, out, this stuff out there at Excess. I don't know what that is, but it's a club in it's Vegas, Vegas, apparently. Yeah. Uh, 25 bottles of Moet, 10 bottles of Don Julio, and uh, Belvedere. They were they were tripping off of that. I don't think that's a lot of okay. liquor. That's okay. not a lot of liquor for, like... Richard Jefferson wasn't drinking. He called ahead to make it. He called ahead to make it sure. Della Dova, he just had, like, yeah. a can of beer. Yeah, yeah he had a Miller Lite. Yeah. And Kevin Love was still in Oakland. Kevin Love, they didn't tell him when they didn't tell him when the plane was leaving. I used to Kevin Love's like, man, just drive me off in LA, man. I'm, I'm chilling UCLA campus for a little bit, man. Screw yeah. you guys. I'll meet you guys in Cleveland. But um you gotta figure you got Entourage's family. You're right. That's not a lot of I was liquor, impressed you know by the I mean? stat before, but you're I right. I don't know yeah. if they were inviting the family to the to the strip club. Yeah. I don't think LeBron James Jr. had too much Moet at XS. Yeah, I think I think XS was maybe a player's and staff yeah. only moment. And plus, LeBron James Jr. has to get to soccer training camp. Right. If you're He's a long time listener of the podcast, we've got him tagged for soccer greatness. That's just as an aside. He definitely will be watching the game tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking of guy, you said earlier, Jr. earned his right to party. Speaking of guys who didn't, but did not seem to care at all, Delvadova was out there. Mozgov. <laughs> There's a photo of him walking around eating a burrito after the game, like on the court still. And then later he's holding like, you know, a big bottle of champagne but because he's giant. It looks tiny in his hands. <laughs> it's just great. All these guys who clearly don't care. I was thinking like Mozgov's uh, from Russia. I don't right. know exactly where. And Delvadova's Australian. Like these guys didn't grow up imagining they would ever be NBA champions necessarily. You know, they probably pictured winning. Playing like the Australian yeah, League exactly, or the Russian yeah. League or something. Na- national yeah. team, whatever it is. And they're like, where am I? What's happening? <laughs> like this is surreal. Like this is so fun. Like I don't care. I didn't get any meaningful minutes. I'm going to go drink and party. <laughs> Why not stick along for the ride, man? Yeah. Um, Draymond Green uh, apparently, you know, 
course, upset, disappointed. But according to TMZ, he was at uh, Ace of Diamonds in L.A., a strip club, like a fancy one that uh, is only open once a week with only the best, the best strippers in the country fly in for it, apparently. So yeah. shout out to him. You know, he's got to bounce back. That's for how your you, sorrows, man. Yeah, that's how you drown your sorrows. Yeah, yeah. yeah you get you get yourself right. Right. Yeah I, yeah, I don't think you should be shamed into not showing your face all summer. Yeah. I'll bet Clay was on Instagram looking at girls. <laughs> Sounds about right. I'll bet Steph and Aisha... We're at home. It probably went to Bible study. Yeah, yeah. I think Let's maybe pray on this. Harrison Barnes had a dot com appearance somewhere <laughs> right after the game that he had to go to. Yeah, he was thinking about all game seven all week, just thinking about his meet and greet in San- Silicon Valley. <laughs> Can we talk about Aisha for a minute? Uh, uh, yeah. She's obviously a, a, a device, somewhat of a divisive figure because she's prominent in Steph's life. All kinds of reasons that aren't valid you know she's outspoken uh she's obviously has her own life going on and for some reason that rubs people the wrong way which is insane you know guys like Stephen a smith going out of their way to point out that lebron's wife doesn't talk and and that's the model of a, of a wife like that's an insane thing to say that's the dumbest thing to yeah. say man Stephen a sometimes he's just fishing for words yeah man. the depths that he can just find himself in newer and newer depths but my favorite thing about that was aisha getting caught a little bit with the tweet after game six calling the NBA rigged and all of a sudden it's like boom you're a crazy 9-11 truther like that's how that's how we do this we love it all together Jeff Fuel doesn't melt steel <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and it was just I mean I don't know I really enjoyed it uh, you know are you guys want to defend Aisha here how do you feel are you sad for her my thing is this if you, if you, if you want to play the game you're going to get played sometimes right, so right, right. if you're going to be out there and you're front page. I mean, you're like you're you're front seat in, in games courtside and meeting the president. And you're, she's obviously like um, enjoying this ride of celebrity that she's on. The good part of it, you have to accept the bad part of it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because Savannah, she doesn't put herself out there like that, so she never catches any of the flack. Yes, you know? yes, and no. Because I think you're exactly right. Yeah, you put yourself out there. Uh, you're a public figure. Um, you get the good stuff meeting the president, going golfing with the president, right? right. All that stuff. And you, you get the bad stuff. But there are two things about this. One is, if you ever get a chance, as, as, a, as men in this room, three guys in this room, we will never know what it's like to be a woman on Twitter, right? First yeah. of all, just go look at her mentions. Right. Look at her. Look at the replies to her tweets on Twitter next time. Oh, yeah, she catches they, it. They are, they are not only savage, they are fundamentally misogynistic, right? right. Yeah. Like some people write some vile, vile shit. But two, I kind of liked Aisha Curry's tweet just objectively because how many times have we said the same thing in the last week alone, <laughs> right? Like, like in a weird way, like I kind of liked that. I found that endearing. She is sitting at home thinking the same thing we all wow, thought absolutely. when Draymond got suspended, which was the NBA is rigged. They're yeah. trying to get to game seven. Yeah. They just want money. Yeah. And I kind of like that, no, like absolutely. her being a basketball wife and, and thinking the same way we do. No, absolutely. Yeah, and you're right. I agree with all that. And, you know, for sure, let, pop off more, Aisha. I want to hear all the crazy <laughs> opinions you have. You guys want to go back to game game four and talk about that incident? I know it's getting lost in everything else. but What, the step over? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, I feel like it was like, great. It's like this. LeBron did what he did. Draymond had already picked up accumulated mad flavor and foul, yeah, so yeah. there was nothing the league could have done. Yeah. Like once you pick up, I think what's the rule four? Once you pick up four flavor fouls, yeah. you get automatic suspension. That was a flagrant foul, uh-huh. and he'd already picked up three in the playoffs. So we can say all this when he shouldn't. It was it's rigged. No, your guy fucked up three <laughs> other times. I mean, maybe um two other times. One was a flagrant too. So it's like oh, you, you you get what you pay for, man. Yeah. Even though I did feel bad, he kind of he he kind of throws the hand up. He barely flicks the uh, the groin area. <laughs> I don't think he was aiming for the groin. That's right. the irony is that yeah, in the true. Oklahoma City series, he clearly was kicking, kicking, knowing he'd hit something. I don't know if he knew he'd hit him in the nuts, but <laughs> but and he should have been suspended for that game. At which point, the Warriors aren't in the finals, right? Facts. So in that in that sense, I'll take the final suspension over not even making it to mm-hmm. the finals, right? For me, also. I thought Steve Kerr had a really good point, and I think someone brought, else brought this up last year, is I think before the finals, it should reset to something else. Like, it should reset to if you get two flagrants, you yeah. are gone, or three three flagrant points, you're gone. Because I can see that, because it's, so, no fi- it's no longer the playoffs anymore. You're in the finals. You're in the finals. Like, the regular season, yeah. the playoffs, the finals. Right. Yeah, and like, you know, you've, you're going to accumulate more as you go on because you're going through more rounds of the playoffs. I feel like it should reset before the finals. You want your best players on the court 
during the finals. Yeah, yeah. the league should want that too. Yeah, their most marketable players yeah. out there. And just, I mean, I can, I can just putting yourself, putting myself in your shoes, Joseph. If this was my team, I would be obsessed with all those little details right now. Like you lose the finals <laughs> in Game Seven with a few breaks going one way or the other. Like Draymond doesn't get suspended. Like Warriors probably win the finals. I mean, it's just, it's insane to think about these. I'm little not things. even like what happened happened, right? Like to me, that's to me. I just think about Game Seven. Yeah. yeah, I just think about the la- the second half of Game Seven. Yeah, Warriors are up by seven. That are- lead is erased within two minutes of the opening of the third. Why you're putting Infestus Azili with five minutes left? <laughs> you're putting him in because Andrew Bogut got yeah. hurt, and he got hurt because he was covering Draymond Green's minutes in Game Five <laughs> after Draymond was suspended. Yeah, so you could go down that little right. lane. Sure, sure, sure. But I just think it to me it exposed. Um, flaws with the Warriors team that they just couldn't compensate for. I think Azili needs to be a more aggressive player. Harrison Barnes wasn't hitting shots. Um, two or three things diff- happened differently. Harrison Barnes hits a second shot <laughs> in the game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. They win. And yeah. so I actually am not obsessing over that stuff. Yeah. I, I really just wish the Warriors um, had just made a couple of minor adjustments. Yeah. Just been able to figure out a couple of things, and then it, we'd be talking about something else. I know right it's now. insane. Well, silver, a couple of silver linings. The first one is uh, the undefeated after uh, Draymond uh, had his little incident with LeBron had very good and funny reporting. So he said, according to sources, Green looked James dead in the face and called him a bitch. <laughs> one yeah. NBA player in earshot of the trash talk told the undefeated that James responded by saying that he was a father of three kids and a man. Green responded back, according to the player, by saying, "You're still a bitch." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at you least know. at least Draymond Green's hilarious, right? You know? <laughs> right. I would just love to see that. <laughs> I would love to be there on the, and see that, yeah. that 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 back and forth, y'all. Don't call me, bitch. I got three kids. I got a wife. Oh, man, you still bitch. I don't care. Go have more children. I don't care. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like Draymond's. That's not a very hard thing to say yeah. on the court to somebody. Right. The fact that LeBron would even get offended right. by that is crazy to me. Yeah. Like, he's saying that to LeBron. Imagine what he's saying to, like, You know what I mean? I like, know. what's he saying to D'Angelo yeah. Russell when they play the Lakers? <laughs> like, like, really, that's insane. Yeah. All right. Coming up next, a very special guest calling in. Coming up right now on the phone from Portland, Bethlehem Shoals. Uh, this is the man behind Free Darko, uh, prolific basketball writer. And uh, and if you enjoy the way that people write about basketball on the internet today, the funny, irreverent, smart way that people talk about basketball, uh, you can thank this man. He's had a lot to do with it. Uh, what's up, man? How's it going? Great, great. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. So, first question, big question, big picture. Uh, the Warriors were the basketball revolution. Is the basketball revolution over? I think what's going to happen is people are going to realize that um, you can't really expect to replicate that team because in Steph and Clay Thompson, you've got basically two rare talents that you're not going to be able to find sort of just by scouring the globe and hoping you find them uh, and therefore trying to actually implement their exact system is not going to work. And I think a lot of teams were sort of headed in that direction during the season or thinking in that direction for the off season. However, what I do think they taught us and what I do think you're going to see a lot of going forward is that team basically saw what the pieces they had, especially in the case of someone like Draymond Green and said, okay, here's what we've got. We've got a talented roster. How do we fit them together to make a cool system that's going to produce wins? So I think going forward, you're going to see a lot more teams taking more of that philosophy and applying it to their roster as opposed to just sort of top-downing it and saying, we want these players to do this thing. So I think the in, 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 they're not going to change the game the way everyone thought they were in the literal sense, but I think their influence is still going to be pretty far-reaching. <laughs> yeah, basically they're looking for – people will now look for multidimensional players, right? And in a weird way, Cleveland beat the Warriors playing a little bit of the Warriors game, like having, like, like ma- having to – have, getting their players to actually play defense and having them play on the perimeter and right. inside and go inside and out. Like, I feel like Cleveland, even Oklahoma City to some degree, when they won, they played a little bit like the Warriors. Right. right. So I feel like you're almost starting to see that happen yeah, even now. The, the conventional wisdom with the Warriors was you beat them by 
slowing down the game, playing more physically. And then I think in the playoffs, people saw that, well, actually, especially with the Warriors not entirely at full strength because Steph was injured, I think people were seeing that if you just get two unstoppable high-scoring dynamos going, that the Warriors actually don't have an answer for that. So if you can actually outplay the Warriors by going hard and going fast the way they do, it's just your attack has to be slightly different. Because yeah. they, they clearly they clearly are vulnerable when you get two guys who are going to put up 30 points and just thoroughly disrupt the offense every time they have the ball in their hands. Right. So the offseason, obviously they're going after Durant. Uh, even somewhere they're going after Dirk. Um, is, does anything else need to happen? Or are they just, you know, there were a few, after all, they were a few plays away from winning the title. Are they, are they good just running it back other than this insane uh, pursuit of Durant? Yeah, I think what's interesting about this series is that last game could have gone either way. Right. I mean, we were a possession away from the Warriors repeating. Uh, and I remember seeing a stat that I don't remember if it was 599 to 599 or 699 to 699, but with the exception of that Kyrie basket, they scored the exact same number of points over the yeah. course of the series. Yeah, with four um, minutes left, that's and, exactly, yeah, that's where it was. And I think the interesting thing is that they, I think the main thing is that they didn't want to give up dudes like Barnes and Iguodala, and I forgot who else they might have had to have. They Bogut. were going to have to sacrifice. Yeah, Bogut. Hmm? Bogut. Yeah, Bogut. They, they didn't. They didn't want to mess with their core by giving up those guys. However, after the way some of them played in the playoffs or became sort of non-factors, I think that they might be more open to uh, surrendering that that. It's not their core, obviously, but surrendering sort of these, these role players that seem during the season to be all important. I mean, like Barnes is a perfect example. Someone's going to throw a max contract at Barnes. <laughs> the Warriors in the playoffs saw that that dude is not really everything he was cracked up to be when they asked him to take on a bigger role. And I think I would not be surprised if they were they're content to let him walk. Yeah, I mean, man, he was he was just ice cold in games five, six, and seven. Yeah, Really just, uh, as a Warriors fan, it broke my heart. Because he's a good, he's a good rebounder. He's a yeah, good defender. He's a good, player. he's a good member of the Oakland community. <laughs> but he's still getting paid. He's still getting paid this offseason. So, oh, of course. Okay, I'm guy for. It. I don't care as long as he's getting his money. I'm fine with it. There's a number of GMs he, that are that are that dumb. Okay, good. I'm glad. He also, he also to me is one of these guys where he was an integral part of that system. But you're asking him to do anything more than what he was able to do in that system, and all of a sudden you he reveals those limitations. Yeah, yeah. More importantly. Shoals. This is really Joe Lacob's fault, isn't it? <laughs> I yeah, I think that article kind of cursed them, um, or at least definitely was the beginning of the swing in public opinion towards them. But that was just, I mean, that that, that I don't know what else there is to say about that. I mean, he managed to make like a thoroughly likable team seem like seem like sort of this snooty personal experiment. <laughs> yeah, that and, was the that was. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And I was just going to say, like, I don't necessarily believe in things like karma and the basketball gods generally, but I think <laughs> in that case, it just cast this pal over the team that it was very hard. I think not for them to overcome, but for us to view them as sympathetically or even view them as favorably as we had before. I mean, they just all of a sudden became this entity that was a little easier to sort of critique or pick apart or find fault with because all of a sudden there there's this underbelly to this team that we hadn't previously thought was there yeah, yeah. it's weird because like um uh for the entirety of this season even for a big chunk of last season yeah. the warriors were a, a team that you stayed up late at night to watch and people liked watching them and something happened in the in towards the end of the season or really just in the playoffs where all the hate started coming out. Yeah. Not only for the team, but for Steph, for Clay, for Draymond especially. Some of it was his own doing. But like it was really hard for me to watch <laughs> this and understand where it was all coming from. Well, from the broadcasters to uh writers and critics, everybody just was coming out of the woodwork and just shitting on this team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think once they I started mean, I- to like Put it out there, like, yeah, we know we're that good. Yeah, you know what I mean, it's it's one thing, like, if you're like the scrappy team trying to like fight for positioning and or we're trying to win a championship. But when they started to like show out and say, like, you know, we are that good, yeah, it started to be like, all right, well, we'll see what happens yeah. when this happens. We'll see what happens if this happens, and it happened. It happened. <laughs> it happened. Those shots didn't well, go down. I think it's also about about fans. I think I have this theory that 
as human beings, we kind of resent having to like things for longer than we might necessarily want to. <laughs> and we were just put in this position with the Warriors where it was impossible to not dislike, to dislike them for so long that when there was the possibility of a backlash, everyone felt a strange sense of relief. But I think more to the point, it's like once they stopped playing the way we'd seen them play all season, all of a sudden they were just another basketball team and they were subject to the same sort of criticism and scrutiny as any other team. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, they, they, they didn't look right in the playoffs. They didn't look themselves. And I think, you know, that team, I think, um, it's, I think at this point it's arguable to me who's more important to that team, Draymond Green or Steph Curry. But I think it's pretty clear that if you're, if the, you know, the unanimous MVP is obviously not himself, you're not winning a title. You're not a 73 and nine team anymore, you know? Yeah, um, and I think I think just even though even though I think Draymond is kind of the engine that makes that entire system go, just because he can do so much and he can you can plug him in so many ways, and he has such great instincts. Obviously, it's Steph who just scares the living crap out of people, yeah. and who just opens up the space to make those plays and move the ball like like they do. And I think I mean I think I mean I know I know he never admitted he, how hurt he was. I don't think we'll ever really know the full extent of it. But one thing I was thinking about yesterday is. This is a guy whose highlights dominated, you know, Twitter, Vine all season. I can't think of a single, outside of that overtime, uh, amazing overtime against Portland, I can't think of a single Steph Curry highlight, you know, handling the ball, yeah. hitting the ridiculous threes. Uh, and it was know, like uh, the opposite of that, you know, that moment where he flung it behind his back to Clay and it. And it, and it just kind of fumbled out of bounds. It was like the opposite of that free-flowing, fun-loving way they'd been playing all season. It was like Steph digging deep to try to find it again, and it's just, boom, out of bounds. Steph Curry hit yeah. 402 three-pointers this season. <laughs> Amazing. Just let, just let that sink yeah. in for a second. It's, it's a fantastic, 402 it's a three fantastic stat for a non-title uh, uh, champion. Oh. <laughs> I'm cutting that out. Let me, let me ask you a question. Um, I've been hearing this word come up since the, since the game, since, since Game 7 exposed do you think that the warriors have been exposed like do we finally know like what they are or is this a simple case of the best team beat them you know the best way that they could i think that we we saw that when the warriors are not firing on all cylinders which i think a dirty little secret about them is actually they spent long parts of the season not firing all cylinders, then they would start firing all cylinders, especially in the second half of the year. First half of the year, they were just absolutely impossible to beat because right. they would jump out to 20-point leads by halftime. I think when we, in the second half of the season, you, you saw more games where it was close until they really got it going. And I think that sort of reliance on going on runs, again, when you have an explosive offense going up against them, if you just you can out-firepower the Warriors. That said... It can have we seen someone pull that off against that team, especially that defense when it's full strength? No, we haven't in the playoffs. And I just, I just have trouble saying they were exposed the way the Thunder exposed the Spurs because they, the, the Thunder definitely found a way to neutralize that team. You know, they found out that if you force Kawhi Leonard to create with the ball, you force, force an elderly Tony Parker to create with the ball, then that team just can't get their they can't get their usual like mojo working for lack of a better way of putting it. I think the Warriors get like an incomplete on the year. <laughs> you know, they get like a pass. I mean, I, I'm okay. Let me put it this way. I want them to be lambasted in the same way that all other teams and athletes are just because I think they have gotten special treatment and special staff has gotten special treatment throughout the year. So there's a part of me that just wants to make sure that they're given, they're roasted the same way everyone else gets roasted. However, on sort of a more personal level, I feel like it's unfair to judge them too harshly based on the way things went down. So just, just make sure that the people who are dumb are as dumb about them as they are. <laughs> in the same way they were, and the same way everyone's been stupid about LeBron, you know, the whole time he's been in the league, I think it's only fair that the Warriors be subject to the same treatment. Sure, absolutely. I mean, look, they won 73 of 82 games getting every team's best every night for the season. Yeah, defending champs, right. And and defending champs. Coming off a championship, they got everyone's best, won 73 of 82 games. Um, I think they deserve – they'll never get over this, right? They'll never get over (laughs) being so close where they were tied going to the final minute in the next next few years. Obviously, the narrative will be written later, but either this is the uh, the fire in which they're – future glory was born or this is the point where it all fell apart you know sure. obviously it'll be a couple of years and we'll then we'll decide retroactively like how much this psyche their <laughs> damage their psyche you know 
the, the thing is that reminds me of, albeit on a much small, uh, larger scale, there was that Mavs team in, I believe, 2007. Yeah, because it was the year that the Believe Warriors upset them. But yeah. they won something like 66 regular season games. And everyone thought this was going to devastate this franchise right. for years to come. And then they came back in an unlikely scrappy way, won a title a few years later. Yeah, right. So I don't think, I don't think, I don't think it necessarily means that the Warriors are done for. I think they, you know, just knowing that they're going to have offseason flexibility, they have a smart front office, they're going to be able to retool and reconfigure what they need to do. I mean, and Steph is so young. I mean, yeah. a full strength Steph Curry and Draymond Green in his prime and Clay Thompson doing Clay Thompson things. I have trouble finding a more talented big three in the league. Yeah. So while team while teams now have a plan of attack for going at them, I mean, let's not. I mean, let's not forget. Like we got absolute peak LeBron James in the series. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, like we had it was LeBron being as aggressive and as assertive and all the things we always want to see from him but don't necessarily get to see because and there were a couple of good articles written about this how LeBron is never going to play that way all the time because he's just too much of like a high basketball IQ tactician to think that the best way to go about winning a basketball game is just to run at the basket as fast as you can every time. <laughs> but I think, I think, I think he saw that that was, I think, again, I think he saw that the only way to beat the Warriors was for him to be that player. And that's why we saw the player that we got. And that's why it was so momentous. And yeah. that's why individual stars can still swing a series. Yeah. And walking away. I mean, it's the Latin in these few days definitely doesn't feel to me that anyone's talking about the Warriors choking as much as rightfully talking about the Cavs pulling off this awesome victory, just reveling in the joy of that. You know, obviously, as a Warriors fan, Joseph, there's a personal bent to it all, but I think, you know, the debate over does the 73, what do the 73 wins mean? Like, no one really cares right now. You know, let's just enjoy this awesome Cavs victory before we start dissecting this uh, arbitrary uh, legacy stuff. Uh, Scholes, you wrote uh, a piece for GQ about LeBron. You said uh, LeBron James stepped out from Jordan's long shadow by finding not only a different way to play, but a new way to win. And I think you know. Basically, you're talking about this. This is going to be the iconic LeBron moment. You know, beating this 73 win team, beating this great team, and Jordan never had that. So as much as we always want to think of LeBron, you know, obviously, I think you wrote this also. Kobe's chase was always the six rings because that's what Jordan did. LeBron's chase seemed to be also six rings. That's what Jordan did. But now it's like actually he has his own narrative. He has his own interesting, curious twists. And yeah, for all of the things that Jordan gave us, he never gave us this. Yeah, he he like. LeBron beat the best regular season team in history by rising to the occasion and playing the best basketball possibly of his career. And he did it all in the service of fulfilling this prophetic mission to rescue Cleveland from five <laughs> decades of, of absolute misery and suffering. <laughs> I mean, there's just, you couldn't, I mean, this has been said endlessly, but like you can't write a better sports story. And he followed through on what he said he was going to do. He followed through in some ways on his destiny as an athlete and as a person and I was talking to a friend of mine last night who said, where does he go from here? I mean, does he just retire and walk into the sunset? Because, like, what? I mean, does anyone foresee that this is the beginning of a Cavs dynasty? I don't think right, so. Right. It's, it's almost like this is the high note and this is going to be the signature achievement of his career. And the MJ thing, there was just never – I mean, except possibly when he won the trophy after his father was murdered. There's really never been a title that's been this emotionally charged and – and I think that's why that's why so many people are sort of basking in, in the glory yeah. of this in a very emotional way. I mean, just you see that saw the whole team break down crying as soon as they won because this was clearly a title that that meant something. It wasn't just a symbol of winning; it was a symbol of like a it was almost existential in a way. Yeah, and I think we're all picking up on that and, and feeling kind of good about it. If you know, for Cleveland, for LeBron, I mean, it's just it's it feels good to feel. And I said this in the piece: it feels good to feel like everything is in the right place. And that's how I felt when he went back to Cleveland, and especially now, that's how I feel. I'm like, this was sort of meant to be. Yeah. It was almost a ridiculous thing that he started, he put upon himself, because he had that avenue, the coming home thing, the letter. Uh, it was it was also preposterous, you know, it was like he was trying to write his own sports movie, and, and, it, and you had to roll your eyes at it a little bit, and then all of a sudden, it's like, nope, he got the ending that he predicted. Firing right. Blatt, replacing with Lou. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. trying to make Kevin Love work. Yeah. Like, he pulled it off. Yeah. Amazing. What happens with Kevin Love now? Does does this victory uh, give them an easy way to cut bait with Kevin Love, or is this something that David David Griffin uh, will will try to keep together and say that they've figured out how to play together? I think you know he he did have a very good game seven. I think they're still trying to figure out exactly what to do with him, and I think he's clearly not he's clearly not a player who's ever going to be as good on a good team as he was on a bad team. But 
it's it's very hard in the same way that the that that people sort of looked at it as malarkey that the warriors would be looking to bring in someone else and shake up their core i just don't know how they say to themselves especially with the cap going through the roof you know what let's just dump this guy because it's not clear who they're going to replace him with even if he's a not nearly the player they thought he was it's still he is still this weird if Kevin Love were good, he would be the perfect modern NBA player. Like if he could play a lick of defense, <laughs> he, would, he would be. I mean, he's he's like a monster of a stretch four. He just has one glaring liability, i.e., well, two glaring liabilities. He has a suspect post game and he can't play defense. But there's a lot about him that is just there's just no one else that that's with that combination of size and shooting, except for maybe size, shooting, and also just ability to be functional in the paint, like Love. Mm-hmm. Although he seemed to find a, a way to play defense for 14 seconds in the fourth quarter, yeah, and, <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's that's what I think is amazing about that game seven is that you is that you know you talk about how the finals make reputations that last forever. I think a game seven like that, I mean, people are going to look at that and say, you know what, Love did come through when it counted most, and so that means there is that potential there. There is that fact that we can maybe you saw an inkling of something there at the best possible time that makes it hard to yeah. just dismiss him out right the way it was when he was completely floundering three games ago. Yeah, people keep people keep talking about rewatching the block over and over. I've been watching Kevin Love's feet for those fourteen seconds over and over. <laughs> right. it's He's just shuffling like them. It's yeah, just, just that's going, how going, I play defense whenever I and against anyone, not Steph Curry. I'm, I'm you know that bad <laughs> against anyone, but yeah, just shuffling his feet, just praying that you'll be able to like make the turn, and he does it. It's it's completely inspiring. Um, let me ask you about about Draymond. Also, uh, you wrote uh, earlier. I think this was for GQ before. Um, Game six, so so it was. Uh, actually, I think it was when game five when he was suspended, right? So you wrote, Draymond Green doesn't have to be a deal with the devil. You can imagine a version of him who didn't constantly risk shooting his team in the foot. Um, uh, you know, this is something he himself said to, in the, in his uh, like kind of game diaries for the undefeated. He said, "I'm gonna, you know, my, I will never again not control my emotions. You know, I have to play the same way, but I'm gonna be in control." Like, I don't know. That that makes me a little sad to imagine this muted version of Draymond. What do you think? Well, I feel like in game six, you saw him come back, try to sort of rein himself in, and he didn't have much of a good game. Game seven, he comes out, emotions are running high, mm-hmm. everyone's on the same page, everyone's amped, and he had like this monster game. Yeah. So I, I, he's, he's a really tricky one because I sometimes want to compare him with someone like Rasheed Wallace, except at mm-hmm. the same time, we have seen long stretches of Draymond Green where he was a model citizen. Yeah. I think he's, I think he's a guy who – is prone to feeling himself a bit too much, but he's also <laughs> someone who who's very self-aware about that. And as soon as he does something or says something, he generally realizes that he should dial it down or back <laughs> off because he knows he knows he's walking a fine line. Um, and, and I think we saw that throughout the playoffs that he he can be overcome by emotion, but at the same time is always understands that as a always understand the big picture of himself as a player and how that can't be what defines him because he's simply too important and too valuable in a very rational way for him to be just purely driven by emotion. I mean, like he's the one who's kind of responsible for that team playing smart yeah. and for him to be both trying to play smart all the time and being subject to these whims of his, I think he understands that that's not, I think he understands and we understand that was a piece was sort of about that. He needs to get that balance going and keep that balance going to be the player he was all, all season. Yeah, and I'm, I think part of part of it has to, and I think I think you know, in the same way that y'all were saying, they went into the playoffs as a seventy-three and nineteen with a major target on their back. Green this year was his breakout year. This was the year where he sort of all of a sudden became one of the best players in the league and was sort of trying to negotiate that. I I would be I would not be surprised if he's a better citizen yet next year because he's also that sort of initial rush of realizing just how good you are, just how valuable you are. I think it's going to be it's going to wear off a little bit, or at least he's going to learn how to temper it and deal with. That team is just too grown up for a guy like that to 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 not bring them down, but to be such an integral piece and not have his his stuff together. But there's something. Did you guys read the uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic's memoir? Uh, no, it's an incredible it's an incredible <laughs> memoir. I am Zlatan. Uh, you know, he's doing that on my summertime. You got to right swear to God, it's incredible. It's, it's he's one of, you know one of the three, probably the third best soccer player alive, and 
you know, but he's played in all these different places and keeps having uh, these uh, collisions with great coaches. And the way he describes it is just like, I basically, I have to play insane. I can't not be insane all the time. Like, I demand perfection. I demand energy. And, and, and like, he needs that edge in practice even, you know. And I just feel like with guys like Draymond, they're so special. And, like, I would hate, you know, to imagine Jay, Joe Lake of sitting him down in the offseason and being like, this is the rational approach we have here in Silicon Valley. It's like, no, fuck that. Um, no, I think I, I think he I think he fully understands what his role on the te- role is on the team and how in some ways that's at odds with him playing crazy all the time. And I, like I said, I think yeah, obviously there were missteps during the season. They weren't nearly as large during the playoffs. As, they weren't nearly as large as, as the missteps during the playoffs. But I just have a lot of faith in his ability because he's a smart guy to try and find that balance and, and maintain it. Because, you know, it's funny that the, the suspension was bad and all the, you know, punching people or kicking people in their nether regions was bad. But he also had some fantastic games. He also carried that team at times when Steph was injured or you know, Steph was injured in the whole playoffs. But, I mean, he's – he I think, I think again, you know, this was also a period of adjustment for that team because they were – people viewed that title last year as kind of a weird fluke. It was like, are, is this going to be one of those transitional years uh-huh. where a team that no one was really counting on won a title in a very unlikely way, and then they come flying out of the gate this yeah. year, and all of a sudden they're unbeatable. And I think, you know, let's, let's not underestimate the degree to which like, that you have to adapt mentally to suddenly being this top dog around the league and – Again, I just think I think Draymond's gonna learn to settle it down and find that equilibrium, because we saw it from a lot of the year in what was like a very high pressure year. And you know, towards the end, he was the one who was talking about going for the record. Yeah, that to me was one of those things where if he could do it all over again, he probably would temper that a little. Bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think really that really wasn't what it was. I think Deadspin and a few other places kept talking about the Warriors' heel turn. I think clinching the '73, and I think the Lakeup profile came out right around the same time, and then that's when it started. That's when everything started curdling. I'll, um, I'll say this though, like it, the last four minutes, both teams combined. I think the stat was one for seventeen. The one being Ky- <laughs> Kyrie's three. Yeah. Right? If and and it was tied eighty nine all in the last two minute, and a half min, minutes, something minute like that. And four seconds. Like uh, the Warriors make a shot, Kyrie rims out. It's it's an entirely different right, narrative we're right, talking about. Right. You know, like that's the craziest know, thing about yeah. all of this is that is uh, is one minute of different basketball or one play yeah. is is different. Right, and it's it's an entirely different narrative that we're talking about. Absolutely. Right Absolutely. I was just gonna say it would be interesting though because of the way those playoffs went down if they would be in the conversation for greatest team ever. I mean, if they'd rolled through the playoffs and swept everyone, right. I think we would. there'd be no question this was the best team ever. But because, I mean, not just because they didn't win the title, but because there were all these struggles along the way to even get to the finals, at least with Oklahoma and, you know, the way they were, the Cavs played them, even though it came down to the last minute, I think that team, if not exposed in some sort of deeper ways of fraud, I think we're going to, we're going to, the long-term view of that team is going to be interesting because, it, because even if they'd won the title, we might still have a lot of questions yeah. about just how unstoppable they were. And Jordan and Pippen would have found a way to be petty about it. I mean, that's for sure. <laughs> um, Schultz, we got yeah, we got to let true. you go, uh, but we got to get real ESPN on you. Ask you about who's going to win the title next year. Uh, the Timberwolves. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Cool. Thanks very much uh, for your time, and uh, keep up all the great work. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Take care. Cool. Thanks to Bethlehem Shoals of Free Darko fame for joining us. That was a lot of fun. Now we are about to get out of here. But before we do, we're going to bless you with some of our very important, salient final thoughts. You need to hear this stuff. Uh, Alvin, what's on your mind? All right. Um, a little quick observation that I'm kind of coming full circle with now that we've gotten to the end of the season I mm-hmm. think that we are all living in LeBron's screenplay written screenplay <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious I think he has done a, such a great job at from the moment that he was drafted every decision that he's made personal business decision that he's made yeah. whether it's signing with Nike 60 million dollars the Hummer all that stuff all these things are going to play into like the LeBron James saga movie yeah. you know what I mean and he's constantly writing. I think he goes home and, like a diary, he writes, <laughs> all right, act five. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, we're here. This is it. And this is probably like, this championship is probably the ending of 
the LeBron James story part two. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, like this is like the next part will be the sequel. No, nah, the next part will be part three. Okay. Well, okay, you know, okay, he's okay. got a production company. I think they're called the Undisputed. Right. Oh. I think I think he's gonna hire David Simon and some of the writers from The Wire. Right. <laughs> and this is season three. We've just finished season three of the LeBron James <laughs> oh, story. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Award winning <laughs> HBO TV show. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. But I, I think we're we're in the middle of it. I think when it's all said and done, he's probably got it in his head. Like, I'm writing the movie on my life right now. <laughs> I mean, he is. Think about it. this. You cannot script this story. Like, yeah. kid from Akron, first pick in the draft. Who gets the first pick in the draft? Cleveland, of yeah, all places. Because the NBA is rigged. Yes, yeah, because <laughs> the NBA is rigged. He gets it. First game, shows Jeff up. Fuel doesn't mean, melt steel beams. <laughs> Thank you, Aisha. Thank you. <laughs> Everything has been so storybook. Like, cover yeah. Sports Illustrated, he delivered. Like, the, even the decision, like, the fact to say, like, I'm going to do this big, drawn-out production. Piss off a whole lot of people. Sure. And then come back and be welcomed as a king and then fulfill on that promise. Jeez, man. Yeah. I'm 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 my ticket is already bought. <laughs> my ticket is bought. Yeah. I've got the Blu-ray and I'm streaming that shit when it streams yeah. on Netflix. Like the LeBron James story is gonna be epic. Absolutely. And and to let me uh uh piggyback off of that, to to go back to his whole thing uh with the grand announcement of coming back to Cleveland yeah. after Miami. So he so again, yeah, he releases that letter in Sports Illustrated. He learns from the decision, no more T V specials of Jim Gray. <laughs> I'm just gonna do this letter, classier. But at the same time, I think we all know it's bullshit. The real reason he leaves uh, is because the roster in Cleveland was younger and better. Miami, the guys were getting older, and in Cleveland, he had the number one pick that huh. they then traded for Kevin Love and Kyrie. It was just a good basketball decision. So the thing that still annoys me about that uh, is is something that Greg Howard talked about on this podcast the, uh, before, the ways that LeBron feels the need or people force him to feel the need to justify his reasoning for where he wants to work and who he wants to work with. You know? He doesn't need to. Yeah, he, he, but, it, but it's, you know, he's half playing the game, half knowing that it's Best for him in the larger interests of his commercial interest to right. to to be uh, this, like this level hero. So he's trying to craft a story, like you're saying. You know, he's very very smart, very very aware of what he's doing, and and so I still think that coming home thing is complete bullshit. That said, he did it. The people in Cleveland are happy, and you cannot argue with the fact that he's made so many people so happy. It all makes for a better movie. It all makes for a better movie. Like yep, it yep. makes the movie better. If he had said like, "Oh, I'm staying in Miami, and we're gonna tough it out." Nobody wants to see that That's movie. Boring. You know what I mean? If, that show it, got even canceled. If, even if he had stayed in Cleveland and just never won, yep. or maybe just won one or something like that, yeah. the movie is still not as good. Like yeah. it's not as good. I think you're, I think both you. I think you're right. I think I dispute the notion that it's uh, cynical. That, that it was. I, I wouldn't be so cynical about right. that because I think I think some of. It, I don't think it was purely because I need to come home. Right. But you look at what he's done, and this I'm not a huge LeBron fan. I love his game, but I hate the histrionics. <laughs> is like I, 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 he moved his base of operations to to Ohio, to uh-huh. Akron, right? To Cleveland and Akron. Like his foundation, his business interest, his entertainment company, his management company, uh-huh. his marketing company. He's got the compound in uh in Akron. He's got the um scholarships that he's 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 giving right. to kids. Like I think all of that made sense. Coming back home, mm-hmm. yeah. as well as playing with this team, as well as being able to sort of orchestrate the moves that he felt at a veteran stage of his career needed to happen for that team. I think there's no chance LeBron leaves Cleveland now, right? Yeah, Everyone right. was saying, well, he's got an out and whatever. I think the out is really to keep Dan Gilbert, the shadiest businessman in America, <laughs> keep him honest, right, that he could always leave. But I think this... Greg was right the other the, the other week. Is like LeBron shouldn't have to apologize for any of that. Right. Even if it wasn't as business logical to do it, to 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 to, to just sort of compound all his business interests into one central location, right. he wouldn't have to justify it to anybody. But I think really that's what it was. It wasn't just the team and the basketball element. It was the next setting himself up for the next phase of his life, and giving his kids some consistency, and giving all the people that he employs. That he grew up with some consistency. Right. I think that's why he can't, went back to Cleveland. Right, right, right. Absolutely. And, and I think, but I think it makes a better story that he went to Miami, came back, yeah. you know, l- fired the coach halfway through the season, <laughs> like hurt his wrist in the last minute of the right. game. The free throw. I was like, I think all of that is is perfect attention yeah. to detail. Every everything. And as, everything. Ama- as amazing as it seems to us, because we remember how uh, reviled the decision was. I think looking back on it in many years, people will. Not not only not see what the big deal was, but actually like kind of forget all about it and be like he made the right choices at the right time. Like LeBron's a genius of crafting his career. Yeah, I mean think about it. like Miami. Th- Miami wasn't the, the it wasn't like the 
runaway choice that people had. People were like, well, he'll probably go, he'll probably stay home, go to Chicago, or go to New York. I think those <laughs> were like the, like and the Lakers, right? The Lakers. Yeah, the Lakers. Lakers, the Lakers. Yeah. Like, Miami wasn't, it wasn't like that close to an idea people thought, but LeBron, he's probably looking at it like, that's probably why it's the best place to go. Yeah. They don't have a history that I won't be able to out-achieve, um, per se, and I get to craft my own legacy here. Whereas you go to Chicago, you're always looking back Jordan, at Jordan right? or yeah. looking ahead of Derrick Rose. Right. You go to L.A., you got to compete with years and years of just L.A. history. You go to New York, you'll never be bigger than the city. Even if he was to bring a championship to New York, he would never be bigger than the city. He would never be bigger than Derrick Jeter. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, So, yeah, Miami made the, made, it made the most sense from a branding standpoint that's the one thing lebron has been since he's gotten to this league <laughs> yeah Shit, i mean he, he he grew up brand savvy right in a way that no no other players of previous generations ever grew up all right i mean jordan made the most of it obviously but like i think lebron grew up watching jordan so he got a head start lebron was probably thinking of his brand identity in <laughs> oh, grade yeah. school right yeah yeah, yeah. But, i mean he was that good and he, he had a whole city telling him like yo you're gonna be the probably no choice but right. like yeah you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna go to miami when i after my first contract, yeah, yeah. So come back and save <laughs> right. the city. Yeah, that's what bothers me when he does the thing where he's like, "I'm just a kid from Akron. I shouldn't be here." It's like as soon as you like could develop sentient thought, like <laughs> you are the chosen one. Let's right. not get carried away. Right. Obviously, had hardships, but like smart enough to like already plan the stuff. And of course, the amazing thing of having like his buddies from back home be his like direct team too, and having it all be work out great. But to play devil's advocate to that, we've all know somebody or some people that they they. <laughs> They've got all the physical tools, sure, sure, yeah, but yeah. they just grow up and do knucklehead stuff, and then their lives take a certain, you know, take right, a certain course. Right, right, right. Imagine a young LeBron James who's physically imposing amongst everybody and poor ass, broke ass Akron. He could have been a stick up kid. He could have been a Hall of Fame stick up kid. Nobody could have, nobody could have had a had a problem with that. But you know, he he did what he was supposed to do. He did it the right way. So yeah. I, I I don't play down that yo just a kid from Akron thing because I've right, seen some right. kids, man. And you could have you could have been anything, man. Also, have any of you been to Akron? No. Like Akron no. is miserable. <laughs> Cleveland Cleveland is one of the worst economically hardest hit cities I've ever seen. Akron makes Cleveland look like San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Like it is a it is there is a a I I won't even put a number on it. There is a significant chance if you are a young person in Akron, specifically a young black male in Akron, your life is not turning out the way other people's lives are turning right. out. Yeah. So I don't downplay that either. Right, like, right. I think right. It's easy I, enough for me to say it's destined once yeah, it's happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, there is something to be said about the chances of, like, I, I bet if you look at just a generation earlier than LeBron's, the number of kids who were his, who were his age that made it out of Akron, right. I bet the numbers aren't very good. Well, probably not. But look what he's doing now with his foundation, and he's sending all these kids from Akron to school. Like, God damn, he might, I hate when you guys bring up these real-world examples of people he's actually like, helping. <laughs> he could easily change the narrative of, like, what Akron can become. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if a couple of these kids go to school, he builds businesses in Akron. Next thing you know, Akron is... New Silicon Valley. Yeah. You know what the I Midwest. think you know what I think uh the the last chapter of LeBron's narrative will be that he is scripting and writing at home right now? He's gonna buy the Cavs from Dan oh, Gilbert. Yeah. God, that would be right? amazing. That's Mobile the last Ari, Godfather three. That's yeah. how it is, <laughs> man. That is the last chapter. The Mobile That's how he's gonna go out, man. <laughs> just like just like um Michael Corleone. You know? yeah. He's gonna buy the Catholic Church, but it's great. <laughs> Uh, Joseph, you uh, you want to you want to say some pa- parting words for the dearly departed 2016 Warriors? Nope. <laughs> no, it just makes me sad. Right. I just wish they were a minute away from history, and uh, it just makes me sad. But I do want to give a spe- some special attention to this Footlocker D'Angelo Russell commercial, <laughs> which I think is fantastic. Great. I didn't actually ever think that D'Angelo Russell would have a way out of his predicament. Let's call it a predicament. And watching that Foot Locker commercial, if you haven't seen it, you will see it. It'll be everywhere. I'm sure it's already on your Twitter feed. Right. Watch it. It's great. Being uh, a self, treating this, owning it, self, being self-effacing about we'll ta- it. We'll take a break. Go Google it. Watch it. Okay, we're back. Come back. 
it's it's fantastic. It's such he should do this in every commercial. Every Verizon should hire him. Every product should hire him. He should be on the State Farm Meet the Hoopers commercial. Right. He should be throwing phones out the windows yeah. in every commercial. Yeah. Like, that's Give the only him a way. Hammer and everything. Yeah, can smash that is, a phone that is it. It's the only way he'll rehab his image. T-Mobile, if you're listening, make him your spokesman for the rip up the rip up your 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 plan campaign. So just, just have posters of just him ripping up. Yeah, but don't sign up for plans. a new plan. Dude. Don't sign up for a new plan. <laughs> right. I have a long-standing theory that every commercial should be should star basketball players. Sure, sure. they're all fantastic. Yeah. They're all fantastic. Every every Blake Griffin commercial is great. <laughs> every 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 Russell Westbrook commercial is great. They should all they should, basketball players should only do commercials. The Cleveland com- the Cleveland commercial that Nike had ready was pretty. Uh, oh man, well. I must have saw that a million times yesterday. Like every YouTube video started with that. And but do you notice they only mentioned Kyrie and. JR, because I think he's a Nike player too. <laughs> right. Kevin Love doesn't even get a mention. Nope. <laughs> and nope. they sh- had some footage of, of LeBron and Kyrie celebrating, which definitely wasn't from Game Seven. It was just hilarious. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I did, I did <laughs> but I'll say this: that, that post-championship that. chocolate milk commercial that Kevin Love is going to star in is going to be amazing. It's going to be epic. Next week. I like Joseph. I like you turning our attention to the young rookies and then the future of the NBA. And of course, the draft is on Thursday. So you know what? I know you're feeling pain right now, but it's all over. It's gone. You can let it go. <laughs> the season's over. We don't even remember who won the finals. It's it's, it's a wrap. Like who won who won the final four this past year? Does anybody remember? I have literally no idea. No idea. <laughs> See, it was Villanova. Last oh, second yeah, shot. Yeah. It's the greatest game in the world, but nobody knows anymore. <laughs> that was pretty so good. Game. Next week, we're not going to know about this shit. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think uh, I think it's been a lot of fun. So. Thank you guys for listening. You can check out all the old podcast episodes on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, thefader.com. And, of course, again, a big, big thank you to the beautiful Plush Studios here in lovely, sweltering New York City. Uh, We've had so much fun doing these. Thank you for listening.